0: afternoon, we're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing, we are a, a local congregation, we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, that's just up Dumbarton Road, and when you come to the police station, if you go up the hill opposite the police station, you will first of all come to Thornwood Primary School, and you'll meet our building on the crossroads next door to it. And we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday tomorrow at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. And we extend a warm welcome to you that you might come along and hear something more from God's Word, from the Bible concerning uh, Christianity And we do believe that Christianity is relevant to us today. We know that many people will discount the Bible and Christianity. But usually these people who have uh, abandoned the Bible and the Word of God, they haven't looked into it themselves. They haven't considered it. And therefore it would be wise of us all to consider these things First and foremost, for ourselves. And as we would open up God's Word and read it, we would find that God's Word is relevant to us today. It may be an old book, and indeed, it's at least 2,000 years old. Some parts are even older than that. But being the Word of God, being living, it is relevant to us today and it speaks to us today. You know, one of the hot topics in modern society today is the, is the climate. And as you know, there's a conference in Egypt. There was one here a year ago when all the world leaders gathered together uh, in order to address a problem that they see. And the problem is man-made global warming or climate change. And if we're to listen to what these leaders are telling us and the many scientists who endorse this policy, we are on our last legs, they might tell us. They might tell us that the world that we know it is on its way out. And unless we change our behaviour, there will be no hope for us. Basically, that is what they're trying to say. And as a result of this, they want to introduce many things. And these many things will cost you and I a considerable amount in extra taxes. And you may wonder, has the, the Bible got anything to say to this situation? Well, our first answer is, friends, yes. It does have something to say. The Bible tells us that God is control over the elements. God is in control over His creation. We are reminded in the first book in the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the Bible would tell us that God simply spoke and brought into being all that we see around us. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. And because God is the Creator, God is the one who is in control of our weather. We are not to think that mankind can control the weather. This is something that God alone can do. And God has given mankind a promise. A promise that has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled and will be fulfilled even up until the end of this age. What is that promise? While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. That's the promise that God our Heavenly Father gave to Noah after the great flood. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And therefore, by the authority that we find in God's Word, we can dismiss what all the scientists are seeking to tell us, that this world is on its last legs, that it's warming up, and that it will bring terrible consequences upon the environment we have to say that it does not square with God's word and therefore we are not to listen to it. Instead, we are to recognize that God has ultimately a plan for this world because this world will heat up one day. But it will not be because of fossil fuels or man's emissions or anything like that it will be when God will come to judge this world. And the Bible talks about it. And it would be good if we would bear these things in mind. We are told in the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 3, here Peter is talking about the last days, the days before the Lord Jesus Christ shall return. And he says, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Here he is telling us that this present world as we know it will be destroyed by fire. You may well know that the ancient world in the time of Noah was destroyed with water. A great flood came upon the whole of the earth and destroyed the earth as it was at that time. And indeed our environment today has been shaped by that flood. But God gave Noah a promise He said he would never flood the world again. And again, that promise has been kept. We know that isolated areas in the world have been flooded, but there has never been a worldwide flood again. However, God has said in his word that he will destroy this world, but it will not be by water. Indeed, it will instead be by fire. And therefore, friends, I know many people are frightened today and they're alarmed by these, uh, these uh, predictions regarding climate change and global warming. Friends, this is what we need to fear. We need to fear that great day when this world that we know it shall be destroyed and it will be destroyed by fire and it will be a fire that the Lord our God shall st- send. And what will happen Out of that fire there will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, the Bible says. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us that we might heed the warnings that we find in the Word of God. This world is not going to continue as it has. It will come to an end the first verse that I quoted to you earlier on from the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that would remind us that God alone is eternal. This world is not eternal. This world had a beginning. And by God, it will have an end. And that end will be brought about by fire. How then can we be ready for that day? The only way, friends, that we can be ready for that day is to have a Savior. And who is that Savior? The Savior is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Christianity is all about. It's all about a person. It's all about a glorious person. It's all about the Son of God, who became the Son of Man. He became like us. Why did He become like us? He became like us in order that He would be able to suffer and ultimately to die. That's why He came into this world. He came on a mission. He came on a mercy mission because He recognized and knew that mankind by nature is lost and perishing. And this is something that we cannot handle ourselves. We cannot rectify the problem ourselves. We cannot get right with God by ourselves. Instead, we need a Savior. And that Savior is none other than Christ Jesus the Lord. And this is the person that we want to introduce to you this afternoon. Even for this few moments that you're here. We do ask that you would take a tract from those who are handing out gospel tracts to you and that you would take it home and read it, give it some thought and that you might call upon the Lord your God that He might open your eyes, that you might see your true condition before Him and that He might reveal unto you your great need of a Savior and more than that, that He might reveal unto you who the Savior is. And that Saviour is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We might well ask ourselves then, who is this person? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is this one who in one real sense has turned the world upside down? Our calendar has been changed because of him. How did this come about? Because he had such a great impact upon the world we have bc before christ and we have a d in the year of our lord no one has had such an impact upon human society like the lord jesus christ and why was this well it was this because he came he was the son of god And he became just like us. He was conceived by a miraculous operation by God, the Holy Spirit, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And he was conceived in this manner in order that he would not inherit original sin. And therefore, the Lord Jesus is the only person that lived a completely perfect and sin-free life. This is vitally important for us to bear in mind and to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the one who is sinless. And this is something that we must bear in mind because He did not come only to teach. He did not come only to perform miracles. He did not come to reveal God unto us. Ultimately, He came in order that He might be able to secure a salvation for His people. And how could He possibly do that? Well, the only way possible for Him to do that was to die in the room and in the place of His people. And He did this when He offered up Himself that once-for-all perfect sacrifice. And He could never do this if he was a sinful individual. But blessed be God, he is the one who has come and who has worked out a way whereby you and I can be saved. And this really is the very essence of Christianity. The Bible does not flatter us, friends. If we want to be flattered, We should turn on our televisions and we should listen to a comedian or we might listen to our politicians who want to flatter us. But the Bible will not flatter us. The Bible will inform us about things that are vital for us. The Bible will tell us where we came from and the Bible will tell us where we're going. The Bible will tell us the purpose of life the Bible will tell us how we might get right with God. And the Bible will tell us first and foremost our dire position. Why are we in such a dire position? We are in a dire position because we are sinners. We are sinners by nature and we are sinners by practice. This is not the word of the minister. This is the word of the the God. The Lord our God. He says in his Bible, read it for yourselves, in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned, from the youngest to the oldest. And why do we sin? We sin because we have a sinful nature. And where do we get our sinful nature from? We got it from our parents. And where did our parents get it from? They got it from their parents. And you can trace it right back to the very beginning, to the time of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created perfect. Adam was created from the dust. He was made in the image of God. God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. There, Adam was indeed the pinnacle of creation. On the sixth day of creation, there God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. And he also created Eve, but not out of the dust of the earth. Instead, he created Eve out of Adam himself. And there is our first parents. And every one of us can trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve. They were created perfect, but they did not remain perfect. The time came when they were tempted Eve was tempted, and she succumbed. She broke the law that God had given to them, the commandment that God had given to them. They were told that they could eat from any tree in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, where they were placed. And they were told they could eat from any tree apart from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God was testing them. God was testing them. Do they really love me? Will they obey me? Well, the tempter came along and tempted Eve and she succumbed to the temptation. She ate the forbidden fruit and she gave some to her husband, Adam. And from that point in time, they sinned against God their whole relationship with God was changed. It was transformed. Once they had a wonderful relationship, once they knew communion and fellowship with their Creator God. But when they sinned, that relationship was broken. And you know what it's like on a human level when a relationship is broken. You might have a good friend. You might have a a lifelong friend a friend that you've had from school days and from work days or maybe from university days and then something happens. The friend lets you down or you let your friend down and the relationship is broken. It's not what it once was. Well, in a far greater sense, that's what happened. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, their great and glorious relationship was broken. It was soiled. It was soiled so much that Adam and Eve wanted to hide from God. But the Bible, friends, is all about how that relationship can be restored. And it's God who has taken the initiative. You see, sin is a great problem to God. It may not be a great problem to us. We might laugh at it and think little of it. But... It is offensive to God. It is against His holy nature. And because sin is sin, He must deal with it. And He will deal with it. He dealt with it when He sent His Son. His Son lived a perfect life. His Son kept the law of God perfectly. And therefore He was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice of Himself in order to satisfy the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law, which we have broken. And this is the Savior we need. We need a Savior who has fulfilled God's law and kept every precept. And we need a Savior who has paid the penalty for breaking God's law, which we have done. And this is the very essence and the heart of the Christian gospel, that Christ has come, lived a perfect life, paid the perfect sacrifice, and now, now through the gospel, we are offered eternal life when we believe upon Jesus Christ the Lord. Is it not wonderful that His righteousness is imputed unto us Those who believe upon the Lord Jesus, His righteousness is given to us and He pays the price for our sins. This is what the Christian gospel is all about. We know that many people might go to a place of worship today, but they will never hear the authentic gospel. They will be told basically, do the best you can and then God will have mercy upon you. Do your best, and then at the end, you can expect God to be merciful. Well, that is not the gospel. God is only merciful to us in Jesus Christ the Lord. And the only way that we can have mercy with God is to believe upon His Son, the One whom God has provided as a substitute for our sin. And that's why we come out this afternoon. That's why we leave the warmth of our homes and the comfort of our our studies and we come out and we want to share this good news with you because we are commanded by the great King and head of the church, the Lord Jesus, to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And we are seeking to fulfill our part in the great commission that Christ has given to his church. And we also come out, friends, because we are realistic. We live in the real world and we know that Most people today don't go to a Christian place of worship. They're never found in the house of God. And therefore they never hear about Jesus Christ. They might hear things on the television about Christ or things on social media about Christ. But they never hear the authentic Christian gospel That gospel that tells us to repent and to believe. What does repentance mean? It's important that we realize this because this is an essential element of the gospel presentation. We seek to walk in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. And when He began His public ministry, He began telling them, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what does it mean then to repent? Repent means to turn from our sins. We are to turn from our sins. What does that mean? It doesn't mean simply to confess we're sinners. It doesn't mean that we acknowledge that we're sinners. It means that we must turn from committing our sins. And you might well be heeding this afternoon. And you might well be saying to yourself, But I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Maybe that's what you're saying to yourself. Well, as far as the world is concerned, maybe you've never broken any of the laws of this world. And in that sense, you're not a lawbreaker. But God has given you a law. And that law is written in your heart. And that law is the Ten Commandments which are codified for us in the Bible. And the first of these commandments is Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And here God is talking about idolatry. You are to have no other gods but the one true and the living God. The God of the Bible. He is to be your God. And you might well say to me, well, I don't worship anybody. I don't worship any God. Is that so? Is that really so? You know, an idol is anything that takes a place of God. Anything that takes the place of the living God is an idol. And therefore, if your world revolves around yourself then that is idolatry you worship yourself or maybe your world revolves around your spouse or your children or your grandchildren and indeed you are to love your mother and father your husband and your wife you are to love those you are to love your children You are to love your grandchildren, but you are to love God more. And therefore ask yourself, do this simple test. Can you honestly say that you love the Lord your God more than your husband or your wife or yourself or your sons and daughters or your grandchildren? Is it not likely that you think more of them and of yourself? than you do of God. Test yourself. You got up this morning. Did you acknowledge God at all? Did you acknowledge He's the one who has given you sleep? He's the one who has given you breath, health, strength, soundness of mind. He's the one who gives you the water to drink, your food to eat, He's the one who has given you a home a job, an occupation everything that you have has ultimately come from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above from our Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Have you acknowledged God in your life today at all? Did you give thanks for the food that you've that you've scoffed? Did you give thanks for the water that you've drunk? Probably not. Friends, God is the one who has provided all that we have. Life itself comes from God. That's why he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. And I put it to you sincerely that you've broken that commandment. Therefore, in the sight of God, you are a lawbreaker. You are a, a sinner in His sight. Now that it might not bother you, but it is offensive to God. And if we are to spend eternity with Him, something must happen. Our sins must be dealt with. And that's why He sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And therefore, I want to ask you sincerely this afternoon, those of you who are listening and passing by, have you been saved? This is what Christianity is about. It's about being saved. It's about being. Reconciled to God. It's about having Christ, Jesus, the Lord, as your Savior. Can you say this? Don't tell me you go to church. Don't tell me you give to charity. Don't tell me these things. These things, in one sense, are irrelevant. I want to hear, friend, are you saved? Have you closed in with Christ? Have your sins been forgiven? Only Christ can do this. He is the only Savior. And that's why we come out this afternoon in order that we might introduce the person and the work of Christ to you, that you might seek Him while He may be found. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Are you ready for that day? When will that happen? It'll happen at the end of this world. It'll happen on the, day, the day, that great day of the resurrection when every one of us shall arise from our graves and our dust shall be reconstituted and we will stand before King Jesus upon that glorious pure throne of His and we will give account. We'll give account of our lives. The books we are told shall be opened. Our consciences, our memories shall be opened. We shall be examined. Our very thoughts, our every word, all our actions shall be laid bare that day. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Are you ready for that day? How can you possibly get ready for that day? The only way to get ready is to have Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's to have Him. How can you have Him? You must call upon Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a glorious promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And everyone who has been saved called upon the name of the Lord. They cried out to him and he'd heard and saved them from their sins. We're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries, but may... The Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace with a local congregation, and we would give you a warm welcome to come along and hear something more concerning uh, the Gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we uh, meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace. That's just up Dumbarton Road. You'll come to the police station. Opposite the police station. Go up that hill there. And you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. And we're next door at the crossroads. We meet tomorrow. 11am. And again at 6pm. And we also meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30. We would then uh, invite you to come along where you might hear something more concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And we hope to present to you the, the authentic Christian gospel because we realize today that this is not the case in many places. Many places you don't hear the authentic gospel. It's a spurious gospel. It doesn't deal with the real problem with mankind. And what is that real problem that needs to be dealt with? Well, it's the problem of our personal sin. This is what Christianity deals with. It first of all recognizes our great problem. And it's a problem that the individual cannot deal with. In fact, the individual doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't have the, the inclination, the motivation, or the desire. And it's a problem that our politicians do not address, they do not recognize. And all those who are who we might call as movers and shakers, Those who influence policy in the country, again, they are exactly the same. They don't recognize the great problem that we have. But the Bible does. And the Bible provides a solution. The Bible tells us not to flatter us but to inform us that there, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short, of the glory of God. This is our ultimate great problem. And it's a problem we cannot deal with ourselves. But God, in His grace and in His mercy, has dealt with this problem. How has He dealt with it? He has dealt with it in and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, we want therefore to tell you about Him. He is the eternally begotten Son of God. He is the one as the Son of God who had no beginning. The Bible talks about the Son of God in this fashion. You'll find these verses in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. It talks of Christ like this, who is the image of the invisible God All things consist. What a glorious description here of the Son of God who became the Son of Man. He is the Creator. Here we are in His world. He is the One who has created all the things that we can see in this physical world and the things that we cannot see in the spiritual world. Christ. The Son of God is the one who has created all of these things. And they were created by Him and for Him. And therefore this would remind us that Christ indeed is God in the flesh. He is both God and man. He is absolutely unique. There is no other individual like Him and he is the perfect saviour. Why so? Well, he suffered as a man. Or we might go back a bit and say that he lived a perfect life as a man. He took our form, our nature. He had a true body and a reasonable soul, yet was without sin. And because of this, he was able to live a perfect life He was able to please God. He never sinned in thought or word or deed. Absolutely perfect. And this is important because when we believe upon the Lord Jesus, what happens? His righteousness is given unto us. And what that's... No, no, sir, that's not true. No, no. The day will come when we shall all rise. We'll all rise from our graves on that resurrection morning and we'll give account of the things that we have done. And that's why we come out in order that you might be informed about this and that you would avail yourself of the glorious, wonderful, full and free salvation that's found in Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now Christ Jesus lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, He was able then to offer up a perfect sacrifice. And why did he end, why did His life end in that manner where He offered up Himself as a perfect sacrifice? Well, He was paying the price for mankind's sin. You see, as I've said to you on one or two occasions, sin is a very terrible thing. Not to us, maybe. We don't think about it like that. But it is offensive unto God. It is rebellion against God. And God is a holy and a pure God. The Bible says this of God describing him, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look upon iniquity. That's God who dwells in light and approachable, who is holy, perfectly holy and righteous. And the problem is we're not. Mankind is not. Mankind, all of us. For the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And what does it mean to be righteous? To be righteous means that we can stand before God uncondemned. And the Bible therefore says, there is none that can do that. There is none that can stand before Him. Because none of us are righteous in the sight of God. We may be righteous as far as the law of this land is concerned. We don't need to worry about a a policeman coming to our doors. Or we don't need to worry about attending a court case. No, the law of the land has nothing to say to us. But I want to remind you that you will not be judged by the law of this land. The day will come when you will be judged by God's most holy and inflexible law. A perfect law. A law that you cannot run away from. A law that no lawyer can cause you to escape from. There's no point in calling upon a, a king's counsellor or any other legal representative. You'll stand before Jesus Christ yourself. And on that day, friend, I'll tell you, You will want something more than your own righteousness. You'll want His righteousness. And that's what we have in the gospel. How then can we get it? The only way that we can get it is by going to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to call upon Him. And does He ask us to call upon Him? Yes, He does. He gives us what we call gospel invitations. In the Old Testament, He says, Look unto Me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. That's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking in the Old Testament. Even before He came to this world, He says, Look unto Me, And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Is that not a glorious and wonderful gospel invitation to every man, woman, and child today? What are we to do? We're to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to look upon Him? It means to trust Him. Many people saw the Lord Jesus. Many people cast their eyes upon Him, but they were never saved. They even saw Him on the cross, but they were never saved. It's more than simply a looking with the eye. It's a looking by faith. It's a looking of casting ourselves upon Him. That's what's required. It's to believe upon Him. It's to receive Him. It's to follow Him. That's what it means. And He says this to every one of us regardless of our background, regardless of our sins that we have committed, he says to us today in the Gospel, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to ask you this afternoon in the gospel. Have you got a burden? Have you got a burden? Oh, don't dismiss this question. Because I'm not talking about the burden you're carrying regarding your shopping or your backpack that you may have. But I'm asking you, have you got an invisible burden, but yet a very real burden? What is that burden? Well, that burden is your burden of sin. And it manifests itself when you don't have a peaceful conscience. There's something troubling your conscience, and it's your sin. And why should it be troubling your conscience? It's troubling your conscience because... You're not right with God. You're not right with God. Why are you not right with God? You have this problem with your sin. But I'm not a sinner, minister, you say. Friend, this is not what the Bible says. Let me read one or two verses from John or 1 John, I should say 1 John. Chapter 1 and read these verses for yourself later on on another occasion. You'll find these verses in 1 John, chapter 1, verse 8, for instance. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know, if we say that we haven't sinned, what are we doing? We're simply deceiving ourselves. We're not facing up to the realities. We're not deceiving others. We're deceiving ourselves. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's what the Bible says. It goes on. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here we're told to confess our sins, to openly acknowledge them, not to one another, not to a, a minister of religion, or not to a priest. We're to confess them before God. We're to acknowledge that we're a sinner. The Bible talks about an occasion when a Pharisee and a publican went into the temple to pray. You'll find it in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 18. And there the Pharisee prayed about himself. He was full of self-righteousness. But the publican, who was a tax collector, and he was hated and despised. People didn't like him. He, he cried out and he said, "'God, be merciful to me, a sinner.' and he beat upon his breast, and he wouldn't even lift his eyes up towards heaven. He was so ashamed of himself. He so recognized that he was a sinner. And he said to to God in prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what did Jesus say? He said, that man went home justified. In other words, that man was right with God. Why? Why? because he acknowledged his sin, and he asked for mercy. That's what we must do. The Bible goes on in 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's a very strong verse, is it not? If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Who is the hymn The hymn is God himself. If we say that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. Now God is all truth. God is not a man. God cannot lie. God always speaks the truth. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The Bible's clear. We're sinners. We need to be saved from our sin. The only way to be saved from our sin is to have Christ as our Lord and Savior. And Christ is the one who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There we're told something of what Christ did in order to save his people. He humbled himself what humiliation it was for the Son of God to leave the realms of glory, to leave heaven behind and come to this barren, sin-cursed world to live a life of poverty, to take the form of a servant and ultimately to suffer a most horrendous death What was that death? That death was the death of the cross. Why did He do it? He did it in order to save. This was God's way of reconciling mankind to Himself. What must we do? This requires a response from us. You know, it's one thing to be to hear about Christ and about what He's done. But we must appropriate these things to ourselves. We must have Christ in order to be saved. How can we possibly have Him? We must call upon Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we want you, therefore, this afternoon, friends, to call upon him. Will he hear? Will he respond? Will he ignore you? No. We spoke briefly earlier about the publican who went to pray, God be merciful to me a sinner. He was merciful. He will be merciful to all who will confess and forsake their sins. That's what required of you and I Repent and believe the gospel. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he says to us in the gospel. We're going to take a short break, but may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're a local congregation, we're a Scottish registered charity. We all live and work locally. Our congregation is situated just off Dumbarton Road. Go up to the police station there and opposite the police station, go up the hill and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School and then you will meet our building almost next door at the crossroads. And we extend a warm welcome to you this afternoon to come along. We meet on the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week. We meet at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. And we would extend a warm and sincere welcome to you all, to those who are listening in our flats to those in the bus station, to those in the car park, and to those elsewhere, we extend a warm welcome to you to come along, where we might be able to expand upon the Christian gospel. That we come out and use this opportunity that God has given to us to publicly declare Christ And we are grateful for this opportunity and indeed it is a a privilege to be able to do this. To be able to stand and to publicly identify with Jesus and what he has done. And we do pray that the Lord might be pleased to bless our feeble efforts. And we are grateful and thankful for this dry day, this opportunity. We would normally be out on a A Friday afternoon, but as you know, yesterday was not suitable for this, and therefore we changed it to Saturday afternoon. We do know that we live in a time when many people have abandoned the Christian gospel, and many people never read the Bible, and many people will never go to a place of worship, And these are sad days because many people are rejecting something that they have not truly, openly, honestly considered. And what they've done is relied on the testimony of other people. But Christianity demands to be examined. And Christianity, the great... Truths about the Lord Jesus, about his life, his teaching, his miracles, his passion, his death, was not done in a corner. It was done, what we would say in modern words, in broad daylight. And it's worthy of examination. You know, the early disciples went to the tomb on the first day of the week. And what did they find? They found an empty tomb because Jesus wasn't there. He had risen. And they met an angel. And the angel said to them, Come, see where he lay. And there the angel gave them an invitation to come and to examine the place where Jesus was laid but was no longer there. And that invitation is valid for you and I this afternoon. Christianity welcomes inspection. We have nothing to be afraid of and nothing to be ashamed of. And therefore, that's why we come out. And we want to tell you, even if it's just pocket-sized amounts of information, Yet, we are not ashamed of Christ. We're not ashamed of the Word of God. We're not ashamed of the Bible. And we would urge you to pick up your own Bibles. No doubt many of you will have Bibles at home. And maybe they haven't been looked at for decades. Well, now's the time to pick them up and to examine them and to begin to read them And may I recommend that you begin by reading a Gospel in the New Testament. Maybe if you would read from Mark's Gospel, that's a Gospel that presents the Lord Jesus as a man of action, always going about doing good. And the ultimate good that Jesus did was that He came, He suffered, And he died. You might think, well, his death was a waste. No, friends. His death was not a waste. His death was the pinnacle of his coming to this world. Because if he had not died, there would be no gospel. There would be no hope for you or for me. There would be no gospel preaching. There would be no Christian church. There would be no hope for mankind but the very fact that Jesus came and suffered and sweated great drops of blood, and ultimately He gave His life when He cried out, It is finished! And He gave up the ghost, and He died. Friends, in His death we have life. That's the great hope of the Christian. That's the great hope of the Christian Gospel that the Son of God, the eternally begotten Son of God, came down from heaven and died in a room and place. And because He was condemned, we are not condemned. Because He died, we do not die. What I mean by that is we don't suffer the eternal death, the second death. Yes, no doubt We'll die physically. We cannot avoid that. But there's something worse than physical death. What is it? It is eternal death. It is the second death. And what is that? That is simply to be in hell. And the very fact that Jesus died and suffered the pains of hell on Calvary's tree, those who believe upon him will not be condemned, and they will not experience the second death. Where are you going? Christianity will challenge you. Where are you going? I'm not talking about what tube you're catching, or what bus you're catching, or what train you're catching, but I'm asking you, friends, this very solemn question. Where are you going? when your life will come to an end? Where are you going when you will draw your last breath? Where are you going when you will pass into eternity? Every major religion believes in the life after death. But only Christianity can prove it. Why? Because Christ suffered and died. And, and, rose again. Death could no longer hold him. He rose from the grave. And the very fact that he rose from the grave would tell us that we shall rise from our graves on that resurrection morning. And I want to ask you then, in the light of this fact, in the light of the fact of Christ's resurrection, Where will you go in eternity? Where will you go in eternity? Where will you go when you pass from the scene of time? Where will you go? The Bible tells us, friends, we'll either go to heaven or we'll go to that place that's called hell. That's a terrible place. We don't necessarily like to talk about it, but we dare not. We want to be true and faithful to the scriptures. Can you not shout the scriptures like you used to do in the old days, sir? I'm quite happy the way I am, sir. Thank you. Modern technology. Is Modern technology. Why don't we? Why it's don't the we embrace work of it? The devil. No, it's no, 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 the work no. Of the devil. It's not the work of. The guitar frequencies on the wireless amps are uh, 666 hertz. It's not the work of the devil to use modern technology. It's the work of the devil to interfere with the proclamation of the gospel. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but the things that are of man. We are here to proclaim the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our time is coming to an end, but we want to Present him in all his fullness and all his freeness to you this afternoon. He is the one who can save you. He alone can save you. None but him. Why him? And why him alone? Because he's the only one that suffered and died on Calvary's tree. He is the only Savior. He's the only God appointed Savior. That's why the apostles said early on in the beginning of the Christian church there is no salvation found in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Friends, you'll never be saved unless you're saved by the Lord Jesus. He is the only God-appointed Savior. He's the one who has come from heaven. Why has He come from heaven? He's come from heaven to take people to heaven. How can He do this? He did it, friends, through suffering and through dying. And through through His work, we offer to you in His name, all the benefits of the gospel. Oh, that you might come to him. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life for ransom for all to be testified in due time. And the Lord Jesus himself said, In John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you're hoping to get to heaven any other way, you will be disappointed. He is the one whom God has ordained and authorized. He alone can save you from your sins, because he's the one who has paid the price of sins. And this demands a response from you. What is that response? Well you must hear the gospel. What is the, is, the response is the Repent and believe the gospel. Repent turn yourself I will sue you. Turn yourself away from your sins. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and he alone shall save. And the great and the glorious gospel truth is your sins shall be forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? You know, you cannot wash your sins away yourself. No one can do it but Jesus. No one can do it but Christ the Lord. None but him. And that's surely a good reason to come out And to tell people, come now, it says in the Bible, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like scarlet, they shall be as wool. That's what will happen when you have Christ as your Lord and Saviour. We're going to draw our time to a close, friends. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to be here. But we've other things to do. We invite you to come along to Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. We meet tomorrow, the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week. We meet at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. And we give you a warm welcome to come along where you might hear something more about the Lord Jesus. May God be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon.